Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's found in the New Testament. If you need a, a Bible, one uh, should be handy uh, near you, or you can you know, get your little digital device out and, and journey, journey your way over there. Uh, it's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after Acts and Romans, uh, if, you're, if you're searching around for that book, 1 Corinthians, before you get to Hebrews and so forth. And we are on the third chapter this week. Uh, we are walking through this message that uh, the early church leader, Paul, the Apostle Paul, as we call him, uh, wrote to the Christians in the relatively newly formed uh, church in the Greek city of Corinth. I uh, commend to you the messages from the last couple of weeks. If you want to sort of get up to speed on where we are, particularly the August uh, 9th message, I think it was. It'll give you some background on on Corinth. But uh, but uh, by way of brief review, just to, to remind us where we've been, the, the, the first thing we saw in First Corinthians was really um, pretty surprising. Given all the issues that we know were in the Corinthian community, all the temptations, all the ways of stumbling and falling and turning away from from the Lord. And given the way that we read in the rest of first Corinthians, those things that seeped into the actual church body. It's fascinating that the Apostle Paul in that chapter one at the beginning reminds the uh, Corinthian church that, uh, yes, you know, you all have glaring flaws and weaknesses, just like we at Cross Creek Church today do as well. But he, he said this to them. He referred to them as sanctified, as those who were holy already and were so because of Christ. And Christ's righteousness accounted to them through faith and receiving that righteousness. And then he goes on and he says, and called to be sanctified or called to be holy. So he says, I have great optimism for you for the transforming power of God's grace in your life. And I want to see that happen. But first of all, I want you to remember who you already are. The gift of grace and the high standing that you have and to operate out of that, they are a prideful congregation, we find, that are very self-sufficient. And so they need to be reminded right off the bat that their only sufficiency, just like our only sufficiency, is the holiness that's gifted to us through God. And, and, and yes, that holiness that we're gifted ought to produce a, a change, a transformation in our lives to seeking holiness. So we saw that. The second thing we saw is Paul begins to tackle these uh, sources of some division in their midst. We said that was interesting, again, given all the other issues they're dealing with, that 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 would be the sort of chief one that he tackles straight out of the gate. But he talks to them about their division and particularly the way that they quarrel and they have cliques and they have little uh, groups. And, you know, recognizing different churches are going to to have groups. We connect with one another in friendship or whatever. We have structured groups, life groups and small groups that are intentional. And that's okay. The problem being when we sort of divide from one another. And it seemed like there were a couple of groups there. There was sort of the old guard that always liked it to be the way it's been. You know, don't don't change anything. Don't don't rock the boat. There were the intellectual folks that were maybe following Apollos and his uh, lofty speech and so forth. And like that, that style, that part of the Christian faith. And then there was maybe a group that we might call the Titan right folks. They were following Cephas. We know he was worried about the rules and regulation, make sure and they follow that. And, and, and maybe we find ourselves leaning towards one of those 
groups today as well. And then even a Christ group, it was called, who sort of tried to rise above all that and became their own sort of group critical of the others uh, in, in their opinion. So we saw that happening and, and that division that was taking place. And then uh, thirdly, we, we've seen, I guess, the other main theme that we looked at last week was a little bit harder to get our mind around, but is that the folks were not only rallying around certain leaders, but they were rallying around a certain way of speaking. And it's a little hard for us to get maybe in the in the church environment, but we certainly get it in our culture at large. I mean, so much of what we listen to, whether we'll hear it, is presentation. Right. Does it come in a slick package? Does it come in a nice little video on, you know, on my Facebook feed? I'm not going to read a paragraph on my Facebook feed. It's got to have a little picture on it. Otherwise, I'm not going to look at it. Right. Uh, The things that come to us on our news media are the people that we listen to. If they look disheveled and we say, well, surely they can't have anything to offer us. But they might be telling us the greatest thing we've ever heard. But that, uh, you know, book, we often judge by its cover. And apparently that was dividing folks in the Corinthian church as well. And the Apostle Paul reminds him in the midst of that, he says, you know, you've got everything that you need in Jesus. You're scrambling after these other things that you're dividing from one another about, but you're actually united. You're united in the fact that Christ is complete. You know, you can't separate him out, chop him up. You're united in the fact that you're all together as believers at the feet of the cross. We're together where it's a level, level ground there. And we're united in the fact that Jesus rules over us. He's the Lord over all of us. So he bids us to a a posture of unity there. And in some senses is continuing that as we go into our chapter today, but really begins to pivot and talk a little bit more about the spiritual maturity that's connected to that. Okay, so he moves on from kind of identifying or diagnosing the problem to now saying, how what's going on in our hearts spiritually? Where are we sort of infants that need to learn to mature and feed on solid food spiritually? Where are we little seedling plants that have yet to grow up and mature into an oak tree or whatever? Where are we buildings that are being built on maybe a, a shallow or weak foundation? And he uses those three analogies, human development, uh, horticultural development, I guess we'd call it botany. And and then uh, construction and architecture to help us think through uh, very clearly where we are spiritually. So I invite you all to read along with me as I read aloud First uh, Corinthians, chapter three. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready. For you're still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another I follow Paulus, are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is really anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and the one who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. 
If someone else is building upon it, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. He means the day of Christ returning will disclose it. Because it'll be revealed by fire, the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And lastly... Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it's written. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Paul, Apollos or Cephas or the world or. Life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Let's pray. Oh, Father, good things here for us from your word. And we look forward to spending these moments meeting with you, learning from you in our time in your word. Would you help us? to understand uh, spiritual maturity and specifically to look at our lives through these lenses that the Apostle Paul gives us of infancy to uh, maturity, of uh, seedling to growing, flourishing plant, of building built with solid materials instead of weak ones. Help us to see your hand at work in all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I guess it was back in 2001, maybe early 2002, I can't remember, uh, still in my uh, campus ministry, college ministry days in St. Louis. And we took a group of students, I may have shared this story at some point in the past, down to Belize. And uh, they have an interesting arrangement there where the state actually will pay teachers, even for uh, Christian schools. And so as long as you have the facilities, the kids can come there and the teachers are provided for. So big demand for folks to come down and help build structures for that kind of ministry. So we went down there with all these college students. And I don't know, maybe with the other group that was there, we had 20, 25 folks. And they talked to you on the mission trips. You know, if you've been in one, if you, even if you went to Clarkston this summer, if you've been internationally, Usually someone will sit down to you and explain, okay, you don't realize it, but you're an American. And you've got certain attitudes that come because of that. And one of those is kind of prideful efficiency. We think we know how to get it done. And uh, in other cultures kind of value relationship and they value the tradition, the way things have been done. And so you just just got to be careful. You know, you can come off as overbearing pretty quickly. So we get on to our first day on our project, and we were going to build this uh, 
they structure a second story on a concrete building. If you've been anywhere through uh, Latin uh, America, Central or South America, you know a lot of buildings are built out of these you know cinder blocks, just like these these walls, and they're just you know built to last. So you can build that second story onto it pretty easily. So we were going to work on building the second story of the structure. So maybe about you know. Uh, 15 feet in the air we were on top of that second level. And and the first day, the the load of cinder blocks came in, and our job was going to be to make sure to get those cinder blocks onto the roof so we could start to build that second story of the structure. Well, the the driver came in, and he parked about 30 feet or so away from the building, which I thought was interesting because we had, you know, then a distance between that truck. And and then there was a stairwell that we had that you got to kind of go up to get to the second level on the exterior of the building. It was kind of around the corner. And then the the stack of, of cinder blocks, interestingly, folks, was about 14 or 15 feet high on top of that truck. You can see where I'm headed. We began and got this big line of students and everybody had their gloves and the heat and so forth. And we had several, four or five just to get the center blocks, hand the blocks all the way down to the ground, hand them along to 20 feet. Then we had folks going up the stairs both way, going up around. We got through about 10 minutes of that. And a couple of us just we just couldn't resist. We had to had to show our American colors. And so I asked the driver, I said, we've noticed that the top level where we're unloading all these cinder blocks is actually perfectly level with the top of the building that we're trying to build on and we're handling all these bricks down to the bottom and all along here and we could just do this and they would be there so would you mind just pulling that truck up next to the to the structure and we could get going and and he was cool with it he he did it he just he had never never thought about that and we went to work and we got this thing built in the time that we were there Well, folks, we might have different sort of views about how to build. The Apostle Paul reminds us here that the key thing is the material with which we build. That's the key factor for us in the gospel and spiritually speaking. That's true for us individually as a collective, as the church. And and as we look at this uh, passage, again, you see these three analogies jumping right out to us. We'll get to them in a moment. Main idea, if you want to follow along in your worship guide, is just this. In light of the beauty and the power of gospel wisdom, we should grow in it. We should grow in that wisdom because it's beautiful and it's powerful. We probably don't have to think too long about our own life spiritually to recognize there's places where whether we've been walking with the Lord for a couple of weeks or a couple of years or as long as we can remember that we're not as mature as we should be. They were still kind of drinking milk because we haven't really begun to get that solid food that we're still sort of a seedling or a little plant. And we haven't really matured the way we would like to be that we're building. There's things in our lives that are being built, but they're maybe maybe not being built very solidly. And we can kind of sense it. And in a sense, every day for us is a struggle, isn't it, to try to to build with better materials, spiritually speaking. So I don't think we have to talk too long about you know why we need to hear this message. What's interesting really is to start at the end, if you look with me at verses 18 through 23, and then we'll kind of work our way back through his three uh, analogies or allegories, whatever you would call them. He says uh, he says this. Verse 18, he says, let no one deceive himself. There's just one way of saying, don't be confused about this or let's be clear about this matter. He says, if anyone 
uh, any among you thinks, anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Goes on, he says, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. It's a reminder again of this message that he keeps repeating over, keeps hammering home for us that we're so prone to try to get spiritual understanding, to try to make our way through life with merely human understanding. We're constantly being bombarded by that. And he's saying, in fact, let's let's be fools for him. Being fools means believing the foolishness of the gospel on the surface, whether it was in Paul's day or right up to today. It's important for us to realize this. The gospel messages is, is kind of crazy. It, it, it's, it's so crazy that it makes it so amazing and life transforming. But on the surface, if we haven't had, as chapter two reminds us, the spirit come in and open us up to it. It just seems like foolishness. This idea that the son of God would become man. That just seems like a crazy idea. The idea that he would be fully God and fully man and live this perfect uh, righteous life that we can't live and suffer the death that that we deserve. Take that on on uh, on our behalf. This message seems crazy. There's a lot of wisdom uh, out there in the world that's uh, that would would view things differently. I was at the mechanic briefly uh, this week and just in about five minutes in the mechanic's office, there were three guys in there. One of the mechanics who I know was explaining to me his his genuinely held conspiracy theory that Bluetooth in all the new vehicles is going to be the way that the world is taken over. All your cars will stop and be taken over and you'll be trapped in them. This was a sincere belief. Another guy in the uh, who was another mechanic in in there that I was talking to uh, genuinely believes that God is an alien, is is an alien like from another planet. And he was sincere in that. There was another guy in there that's like a teacher at Shades Mountain Baptist uh, Church for Sunday school. So I promptly left. Let him deal with it. <laughs> Let him sort that out. You handle that ball, run with it. There's a lot of different sources of truth out there. And the Apostle Paul reminds us what the Gospels tell us. Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, another way of saying this, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. Seek to kind of live your life by the wisdom of the world and not embrace the gospel. It's actually going to be lost that you'll, you'll have your 80 years or your 90 years or whatever the Lord gives you. And it'll be it'll be gone if you uh, seek to lose your life, which means entrust your life to God. Let it go for you, your purposes and let him have it. Then you will save it. It sounds foolish when we think about it. We should grapple with it really each day. The foolishness of the gospel we believe. And then he goes on in verses 21 and 22. It's interesting. He said, let no one boast in men. And and then he's reminding them again. They're like it's like they're prideful. We see that in ourselves, don't we? They're prideful because they're actually insecure. Right. They come off as all this wisdom and divisiveness, but they're actually insecure. They're not confident in who they are. And so he's reminding them in verse uh, 20, 21 and 22. He says, all things are yours. You're not lacking something. You got everything. Jesus has given you everything. All these teachers that you divide over, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, they're a gift from God to you. The world, all the stuff you enjoy in the world, the life you've got now, the things that God's going to do after death in your life, the present, the future, they're all yours. So we're blessed in that way. And then lastly, and if you almost miss it, if you if we you know sort of check out before that last verse, verse 23, he says, and you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. And it's not just that we've been blessed and given something we have. 
But uh, as my boys like to, to say, or maybe, you know, you hear in the sports world when somebody sort of dominates you, taking you to the hoop or something like that. So you got owned. Right. In a good way, we are owned. We are Christ. Christ is God's. We've been captured. Our lives are not our own. Verses 18 to 23 kind of shows us the beauty and the power of gospel wisdom. And then the rest of the passage, if we can sort of jump back to the beginning, shows us how we grow in that. What can we do to uh, to grow in that uh, and flourish in that better in our lives? Look at verses one through four with me. He says, starts off here saying to them, hey, you're uh, I couldn't address you as spiritual people. I couldn't say you're spiritual. Okay, and. And, and I think we can kind of get this actually in our culture because that, that term's in vogue again, right? Many folks would say, I'm a spiritual person. And the Apostle Paul is just saying there's a difference between saying you're spiritual or saying you're in Christ and actually having the work of Christ crucified transforming us. Those are two different things. So he says, I, I can't really address you as spiritual, even though you might use that term about Yourself, And then he he goes on to talk about the deep change that the spirit should make. He says that they're kind of stuck in this spot. Verse two, I fed you with milk, not solid food. We get this. I I don't know if other families did this, but in our household, I guess it was the first three kids. I don't know if Clement got this or not, but uh, I do remember from the first three. We had those little ones and, you know, you want the kids to be healthy, get the food, but they, they can't chew and so forth. So patients would make this stuff. We just called it mush. You know, I don't know if others of, of you all moms made it was like uh, applesauce, maybe bananas, maybe carrot. You know, it was baby food, but we kind of made it at home. And I don't know if they put some colorings in the baby food from the store, but those ones look a little bit better than what we. It was always sort of a green or sort of a, a brown. And you almost felt bad shoveling it in the kid's face till you realize, OK, this is the basic nutrients they need. But, you know, we aren't making mush at our house anymore. Right. As the young ones grow and even within the first year or whatever, they start to eat table food, eat things that they can chew a little bit first and then a little bit more. The Apostle Paul is saying to these folks, you know, obviously they were at a point, he acknowledges, where they had just come to faith in Christ. And spiritually, that's what they should just be having is milk basics to grow in that and get established. But he said, I'm still he says here in verse um, Verse two, he says, uh, you were not even ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. He says, you're kind of still stuck in this place. You're in perpetual spiritual infancy. And he's worried about them. He talks about how it's manifesting itself again, that this is why they're having these divisions over things that really are no divisions. It reminds me of the chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter five. You can turn there if you if you want to the book of Hebrews. Well, if I can turn there, I'll read it to you. Hebrews chapter five, verse eleven. Where the, the writer says this, says about this, we have much to say and it's hard to explain. He's talking about the gospel and all of its power. So since we have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles, the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature. Same message, right? And the invitation for us is, is this today. The question for us is this today. Um, are we hungry? Are we hungry for something beyond just the, the basic milk of the gospel? And if not, is there what's going on? 
Do we misunderstand the gospel? Do we not understand the tremendous love of God and his grace, and so we're not really hungry for it? Or do we just not recognize that there's that opportunity for us to, to mature, to be in a different place spiritually? Maybe we're struggling to find those avenues of growth. Maybe we need to get one of those uh, daily bread devotional books that's that's out in the foyer to kind of get started reading the scriptures on our own. Or maybe that's a reason to get connected in with a, a small group or a life group setting or sit down with somebody else in here and ask them, hey, could you help me? I need help growing spiritually. Take steps for that maturity. You know, it's interesting uh, for us to ask ourselves. And I won't show for I won't ask for a show of hands here, but it's convicting probably for all of us, isn't it? Uh, How many people here have a fitness plan? How many of us have a financial plan? How many of us have maybe a career plan, some idea of where we're hoping things are going to work? You know, we know the Lord's sovereign, but we've got a plan. Uh, How many of us have a plan for even our kids sort of academic or their skill set development in artistic pursuits or whatever they enjoy. Right. But maybe have no real plan in place for our own spiritual maturity. Right. Those other things aren't bad. Nothing wrong with having those. But the contrast is sometimes compelling, isn't it? Second thing we see in these verses or second analogy Again, looking back at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 now, back there from, from Hebrews. Take a look at verses 5 through, through 9 with me. He says, what then is Apollos, what then is Paul? So he's still trying to map this on to this divisiveness, disunity, quarreling issue they've got. And he says, these guys are really servants through whom you believe. And then he switches from uh, the human development analogy to a botanical or agricultural analogy and he says, hey, I planted. Well, he's not denying that he, didn't, he had a role in their life. He says, Apollos watered it. So apparently Apollos must have kind of helped shepherd them as a, as a church body. He said, but God gave the growth. I mean, you ever think about it? Maybe you've got little ones. or Maybe you remember doing that little plant where you do a little project at school and put a plant and seed in a cup and some dirt and so forth. And, and so forth. you put some water in it and whatnot. Well, the water and the seed are important. But there's got to be something that makes it grow. And, you know, maybe Paul didn't understand all the dynamics of biochemistry and how plants grow and so forth. But he knew that there was something outside that made it grow and that that was really the significant thing. You can put seeds in the ground. You can water things all day unless there's some force that makes it grow. It doesn't grow. Reminder to us, again, we think about. The Gospels and Jesus talking about the seeds that land on the different soils and how those take root or don't take root and the things that come in it. It's a lesson for us, a reminder of why things are happening spiritually in our lives and in others. It's a good opportunity to be thankful. It's also a reminder to put ourselves in that place where we're ready to grow and to be nurtured in the gospel. Okay, he talks here a little bit as well. And then we'll move on to our third and last point. But read with me the last couple of verses in uh, in that section. He says, he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. So he's kind of switching here from sort of challenging them individually to helping them think, too, about the kind of spiritual leadership that they need in their lives. 
And he's sort of speaking to those that are shepherding and leading. We mentioned earlier the officers retreat we had with our elders and deacons. We've got a lot of folks that serve in some capacity, sort of shepherding in our church in other ways, helping to teach Sunday school, helping to lead the youth and college ministry, helping to serve with the little ones. Many of us are leading in some capacity in our home front. And the Apostle Paul is reminding us here that we ought, you know, ought not to get too worked up about any particular person because all are. Just servants, vehicles of the Lord. And, you know, in a couple of weeks here, maybe even next week, we'll start handing out our cards for like officer nominations. You know, we have a process of a three year rotation and and our part of what our leadership began to pray about uh, this weekend was just, you know, do we need to develop the, the scope of our lay leadership a bit more, more deacons, more elders? And we'll be praying through that. But we're going to want to receive nominations and input from you all as a as a whole congregation, too. But one of the things we ought to be thinking about in leadership for those that might be nominated to come through or those that are currently leading is, is, is that our posture? Do we recognize that really God's the one that's, you know, he's, he's going to give the reward. The work is not useless. The work is important. Serving in the church and shepherding your family, it's important. But that all of it flows downstream from God. We're ultimately serving God, God's fellow workers, and then we are God's field, God's building. Last thing we want to look at is these verses 10 through 17. Switching from the uh, agricultural uh, to the architectural, we might say here. And you get the picture, right? We're in a a part, uh, many of us, of Birmingham where we probably see uh, homes going up. We see new buildings and construction for new stores going up. And we get the idea The person who goes and uh, puts the water pipes in is not the same person as the person who puts the beams and structure up. And it's not the same person that puts the electricity in and not the same person that puts the roof in. But all of them are building that structure. So they're all important in that way. But none of them is more important than what? The foundation. What the whole building rests on. I asked uh, the selfs if I could share this story. It was one of my favorite Marta and Chuck stories. But, uh, you know, uh, Marta's family being from Brazil, her mother uh, came to visit. And again, that sort of, you know, Latin American, South American construction uh, mode of construction. And uh, the selfs were in a neighborhood where, you know, home, new homes were being built and so forth. And uh, her mother came up here to the States to visit and, and saw the buildings, the house is being built. You know, if you just walk into a house, you don't normally necessarily see how it was built. But she saw, when you think about it, that most of our homes, some of us maybe live in a cinder block structure, in a bunker, but most of us live in something that's got, you know, wood, wood boards running through it and just a thin sheet of, you know, sort of thick cardboard, really, sheetrock, and maybe some plywood on the outside. Well, she, she would, Marta was reminding me this morning, her, her mother wouldn't go upstairs to the spare bedroom because she felt the whole thing was unstable, right? It, was unstru- it wasn't like these cinder blocks that are going to stay put. It looked all fragile and very rickety. We, uh, we should have that same perspective as we look at building and thinking about the building in our spiritual life. You know, what is the foundation what are we building on in our lives? And it's, and it's so simple. It sounds almost too simple. We walk past it. What does the Apostle Paul say is the foundation? He says it's Jesus Christ. I mean, that sounds like overly simplistic, but it's just this. If, if uh, we as a church are trying to build things into the spiritual life of folks that are coming into our midst that we want to invest in and help them grow spiritually, and we're building that on anything other 
than what Jesus has done, his work in our lives, then we're missing the boat in our own lives spiritually, too. If we've turned on to some new spiritual fad or following some new spiritual trend and we sort of feel like Jesus is passe, it's boring, it's uninteresting, it's unengaging. Apostle Paul is saying that's the foundation. That's what everything needs to be built upon. That's the gospel. And he says uh, this at the end, and I've always thought this picture was interesting. Again, a lot of us are serving in our church Helping invest in young ones. A lot of us have young ones at home. So look at verse 12. And he says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones. And I always feel like there should be an or in there. There's not actually that word or, but it's, it's a contrast. So gold, silver, precious stones. Those are what kind of things? Stuff that lasts. Stuff that's valuable. In contrast to read the second half of the list, wood, hay and straw. And then he gives this picture of a fire coming in and not so much a fire of uh, damnation, but a fire of purification and saying, boy, you can take a blowtorch to that concrete wall. Of course, we've got a fire extinguisher there. That kind of ruins my analogy. But you can take a blowtorch to that concrete wall all day and, and it's not going anywhere. It's going to get scorched or whatever. But it, those concrete blocks, I don't think are going to light on fire. Fire extinguisher notwithstanding. That's not going to happen. But, boy, you light that door up or light something made out of straw and it goes up like that quickly. The Apostle Paul is saying we ought to take care in our own life and the lives of those that we're investing in that we build out of something that's solid, that's significant. That means we've got we got to know this book. We've got to do some work, you know, to know this book collectively and individually. And, and we ought to be embracing day by day that gospel. And then he gives this picture. He says uh, there's a reward to be received. Okay, Kind of a strange concept for us to think about in light of grace. But he says it does matter how we build. We see it in the matter of giving where it says, you know, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. God's saying somehow our reality for you and me is going to be affected in eternity by how we use the resources. Well, here he's saying our reality is going to be affected by how we build spiritually in our lives, in the lives of others around us, that that there is a reward when you build with those solid materials. It's important because it's hard to see the value of it in our lives today. And in contrast, he says, you know what? You can still be saved. You, know? you can still escape the fires. I always love this picture to me. It's just like somebody with the flames just nipping at his heels just right behind him. You're going to you're going to escape hell. You're going to get to heaven. But if you build only with straw and wood, you will get there. That's a good thing. But don't be expecting a whole lot of rewards when you get there. It's an encouragement to us to be reminded of the power, the blessing in our lives of building on the gospel, building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And uh, bids us to ask ourselves today, where are we in that uh, infancy to maturity? Where are we in that seedling to a growing plant? Would we be like uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 1? Uh, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for. Your word, we thank you for the pictures, images it gives to us. We are 
are really pretty simple people, as sophisticated as we'd like to uh, imagine ourselves to be. Uh, we are greatly helped by simple things that we can understand. Father, we pray that we that you'd allow us to take this picture. Lord, maybe there's young ones here. Um, maybe folks in the eight, nine year old range, maybe up through the junior high years, maybe even uh, some of the high school and college folks who have yet to really begin owning uh, their own spirituality. And this would be a reminder for them to begin to to seek maturity and not be satisfied with just where they are spiritually. Father, um, certainly there's many of us here who are investing and pouring into other folks, but we aren't always careful to make sure that we do that with uh, what really matters, with the materials that last, spiritually speaking. We pray that you'd help us that way, that we'd be a church marked by that. And, Lord, we pray in all of that that we would build on the foundation that you would uh, allow us to, to grow into a flourishing plant that would not only be strong for your glory, but that would bless others around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.